To date, much of industry's digital transformation efforts have focused on building plants more quickly or making them run more optimally, followed closely by predictive analytics to identify emergent hotspots before they derail production. But once you know what to fix, how do you ensure that your maintenance team has ready access to the information it needs to execute the necessary repairs both quickly and effectively? Hello, this is Keith Larson, editor of Control Magazine and ControlGlobal.com. And welcome to this Solution Spotlight episode of our Control Amplified podcast, sponsored today by Emerson, a company that is working hard to provide the maintenance folks responsible for the upkeep of its process automation systems, instruments, and software with the contextually relevant information they need to perform their best. And with me today to talk about the company's efforts is the guy who's responsible for many of them. Uh, and he's helping to reimagine maintenance workflows through the use of connected systems. Welcome, Brad Buddy, Vice President, Digital Customer Experience for Emerson's Automation Solutions business. Welcome, Brad. Hey, As always, a real pleasure to chat with you today. Awesome to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm really excited to uh, to talk more and and learn more from each other about about this maintenance processes and the people that can yeah. benefit from improvements. Absolutely. Well, one of the last times we talked, uh, you were just getting the my Emerson initiative up and running on, on, on the website and it was just gathering momentum. And the focus was really more on the engineering side of things, uh, as I interpreted it, making it faster and more intuitive for users to specify the right Emerson solution configurations. Can you talk a little bit about the motivations behind the larger My Emerson effort and then maybe how that inspired the, the new My Assets aspect of the platform? Yeah, I'd love to, Keith. You know, the, the initial impetus for us to to build out my Emerson and a broader digital customer experience was really a focus and understanding of the people that we do business with. And, you know, the core of it was that people's behaviors are changing because we have new digital tools as consumers are buying online more, accessing digital media more and that kind of thing. Right. So yeah. we, we know through that research that people bring those expectations into the office with them. And now office processes are changing dramatically with digital mm -hmm. media moving to the cloud and through web. So with that focus on the people, we rolled out my Emerson and some digitalized engineering tools like configurators, better CAD drawing downloads, and that all worked really well. It's grown really uh, substantially as well, Keith. We've had um, over 100% growth on our, just our online configurator use. And I think that's because people are now in the midst of transitioning from PDFs over to digital tools. And um, that's kind of the next wave we're in. So it's always been our vision once we've figured out engineering tools to a degree to to switch over and, and help figure it out for maintenance yeah. and connect those maintenance users more directly with the right content they need to be successful at their job and, and add some tools to their toolbox. Mm -hmm. And so in this lens, we want to build out my Emerson in a connected system to help close a work order loop think is the mm -hmm. simplest definition of it. And, you know, that's a little bit like you pointed out in the intro, a little bit overlaps the, the OT architecture when you see uh -huh. and act uh, and need to act on, make a decision on something in the plant, you cut a work order. So we, we want to use my assets uh, to help digitalize that workflow for, for products, software and, and lifecycle services. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I kind of view it as, you know, like, we often do in our personal lives, you know, now, now we can schedule service online and order food, right? You probably do these kind of things. Sure. Yeah. And the, the, the digital approach certainly makes more sense than just in our personal lives. We don't 
don't really like carrying around a, a file folder of, of menus for our favorite restaurants. Uh, more likely to do it all all online and don't want to drag a file cabinet of instrumentation specs out to the field either. Remember when you used to show up to a hotel and they'd hand you that uh, that file folder full of menus? You don't yeah. do that, right? <laughs> now you go to your phone. Yeah, you can't even go to a restaurant. They've got the, the barcode there or the QR code on the table. So uh, that's changing. Those work habits are changing, no doubt. Exactly. And QR codes is part of our story too. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, that uh, I was going to ask you about that as well. I understand you've already shipped more than a a million products, each with a unique identifier QR code that really directs the user to customized information about that specific product. What sort of information is at the end of that link? Obviously, not uh, not side dishes and, and cocktails. Uh, how does it fit in the uh, maintenance planner or technician's workflow practices? Yeah, sometimes I wish it was cocktails. So here, you know. <laughs> it is Friday you know, when we're taping this. So yeah, I understand Friday afternoon. Uh, uh, leaning in that direction, but go ahead. We're both full of, both full of the weekend energy. So, the, you know, I'll start this one by uh, sharing with you a customer experience I had. We were we were collaborating with a customer on a visit and um, they, they were maintenance folks pulling uh, products out of boxes. And it was really interesting to watch when they got to the product documentation, like the user manual, and, uh, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. They picked up those those that stack of paper mm -hmm. and they just put it all on a pile. Mm -hmm. And they'd go through box after box and the pile would grow and grow. And I'll, I'll tell you, they never went back to that pile. Yeah. And then later on, they had to do work with these things, right? And and so they were stuck. They didn't know what procedures to follow for each of the different products that they had on the workbench. And so that was really the, those examples uh, were the experience we had to identify the need for a better way to connect the product to the digital documentation. And so QR codes help to solve that. And what we enable then um, when you scan a QR code on the product or on the box is access to that specific product manual. And, and then when you're doing the maintenance work, quick start setup, powering up mm -hmm. um, or, or putting a, or you need a wiring diagram. To, that, that's the kind of content we want to put directly in the hands of people on the maintenance bench. Um, and even out in the field, because then, you know, they don't have to go searching for it. It should solve not only the speed of getting that work done, but the quality. Mm -hmm. So are the QR codes actually on the instruments themselves so that the, the technician can can kind of encounter the documentation when they get out in the field? Yep, right on the, right on the product and, and right on the box. And, you know, we, we get asked often, it's kind of an interesting question, well, how long will a QR code last in these harsh industrial environments? And not forever, certainly. So um, we get that. But I think solving it, at least for the unboxing and the early installation commissioning phase of that, sure. that asset's life is uh, a good first step. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that at least, at least get them started and now you've got to, you can start a new business on replacement QR stickers uh, or QR codes, uh, laser etched or however uh, works best in those uh, harsh conditions. And it's funny you say that. That's like innovating the adjacent possible concept because yeah. I've actually heard that from customers. <laughs> like, hey, can you do this for all of our products? Oh, yeah. The answer to that is, you know, for now, no, not yet. But um, it's really I love this innovation model where you release something and then you listen to people react to it and you come up with, you know, the next idea yeah. down the line. So it's fun to keep moving. All right. I'll hold on to that idea in case this publishing gig doesn't, doesn't work out. Maybe I can. Uh, I doubt it. You're a pro man. 
<laughs> well, thanks. I appreciate it. That kind of brings up another thought that my assets concept makes a lot of sense when you're talking about physical hardware where you can actually put a QR code on it. But obviously Emerson is in the software business too. Does the same kind of concept transfer over to the realm of software license management and cybersecurity patches and firmware updates, that sort of thing? Yeah, very much so. Although initially this wasn't intuitive for all of us internally. You know, we we actually had to put an initiative in place to to call software as an asset or name software as an asset so that we could keep track of it and treat it just like any physical product that shipped out of our building. And, you know, in many cases, we're actually being required to do that by governments and different agencies. So it's proven yeah. useful, but also because so much of the physical product in, in the connected systems have software now that you can't avoid thinking that way. Right. So our next step here is to ensure that we can align the capability across our entire portfolio. And I'm thinking about the tech stack from instruments up to systems and software, up to analytics, software yeah. applications, and that kind of thing, because we have to be able to, to access through or, or for any of those. At the top of the stack, we even sell Guardian support for control systems. We already have a business model around some of that. Yeah. But we don't think necessarily we need to have a paid service for everything in that stack. So this is where my Emerson or my assets again comes into play because for the really quick transactional stuff like that bench top maintenance I was talking about, yeah, we want to enable it quickly on a mobile device or on, on different electrical uh, setup tools. Maybe a, an easier way to think about it is like a mobile phone. In our modern expectations, we have a physical motor, mobile device, which has an operating system. Mm -hmm. which has then loaded with a bunch of apps. Mm -hmm. And so we want to give that entire ecosystem, um, enable users to be able to take the right next step and, and make clear choices on their, their management of it, whether it's mm -hmm. that physical product or the software products at each of the layers. And then, you know, the added benefit is keeping things modern and baking in cybersecurity when we do that. Mm -hmm. So we do plan to, to roll out my software in a bigger way to enable all that, that full level in the coming months. Yeah, that makes sense because software does have a, there are some nuances to dealing with a piece of software that, that aren't quite the same as, as a physical device. So it makes sense. It would be a, somewhat of a different solution, but in the same family, cousins as, as it were. Right, right, right. Cousins that have different expectations for their life cycle. You know, software right. might have a quarterly expectation for an update, but a physical product might have a decade. So we yeah. need to enable that different flexibility. Although instruments, more and more, there's firmware to update and things like that in the physical products. So that certainly is converging, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, maybe a, one of the dirty little secrets we're trying to solve is, um, is eliminating fulfilling software through CDs and DVDs. Oh, yeah. You, know, that, you see it everywhere in an industrial environments and, and uh, manufacturers are being forced to get away from it because, you know, Computer makers don't don't ship with that as a default yeah. anymore. Well, if I can update the firmware on my Tesla over the air while it's parked overnight, then there should <laughs> be some industrial, not that I have a Tesla, I'm afraid, but uh, um, there should be some industrial uh, analog to that, that same process. Yeah, I think that's right. Do you have a CD player in your uh, computer? No, uh, uh I finally See? the only the only CD I did actually break down and buy an external DVD read write 
thing a few years ago just because I wanted to recover some old movies uh, that we had around the house. But no, I mean, that's all my music is streamed now and really no, no need uh, for, for, for that kind of mechanism. How about you? Do you have one laying around the house somewhere? Nope. Nope. Well, except for the Xbox, but uh, <laughs> everywhere else, everywhere else they're out of the house. And, it, you know, again, tying out personal behaviors and expectations to, uh, yeah. to the office or to the industry. This is another one of those trends that we're, that's on us right now that we have to react to. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Well, that, that brings up another, uh, speaking of changing paradigms, you know, obviously if you're talking maintenance, we got to be talking about computerized maintenance management, management systems as well, or CMMS. Those were stand-up applications entirely separate from the engineering side of engineering systems of record where most of the instrument specifications reside historically. And now many of those platforms are moving to, to the cloud. I guess the question is, how do we how do we go beyond these kind of siloed virtual file cabinets to more persistent engineering and maintenance views, for a better term, of, of these assets based on a, a single underlying data model? Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't know if it'll be a single data model, but it'll be uh, yeah. something. The, it, you did something there that was super funny for me or, that I that I see is you know you take your old mental model of something and you just apply it in the new environment. Yeah. File cabinet, uh -huh. but digitalized, right? Yes. <laughs> and when in fact it's not, you know, in the in the cloud, it's really not. Yeah. I mean, Dropbox is it. literally a Dropbox, right? Yeah. <laughs> Digital, but it's right. just a Dropbox, yeah. Right, right. And so we come out of COVID, and people had to work from home, and they could no longer access paper that was in a file cabinet somewhere. That was a real problem. It slowed people down. Yeah. It led, yeah. to, led to poor quality decisions and some examples that we were told about. So. Yeah, real problem to solve there again. And and knowing that we can't rely on paper, then what we think this is visionary right now. What we think will happen with that CMMS environment, you know, first of all, they're all moving to the cloud. Mm -hmm. All of the top six CMMS vendors have at least one cloud offering now, which could be on-prem or or in the public cloud. And at least one of them actually has shifted entirely to cloud which I think is really interesting to put tension on, on that migration. Yeah. So I take away from that one key thing. I believe CMMS has positioned itself in the IT side of the ITOT conversation. Mm -hmm. That's a good way to put it. And, and then what that means, Keith, I think, is since it's in IT, we can connect to it in different ways, perhaps a bit more quickly and seamlessly through APIs. Mm-hmm. And what I think that means with that kind of distributed uh, ecosystem of potential connections is that a manufacturer like us could connect to our customer's CMMS system for just maintenance documents like we were talking about earlier, those pieces of paper that have converted to digital. Yeah. And you could plumb that stuff in. So somebody who's, who's building a maintenance work order, but just through a few clicks, put that work order together specific to the asset that they need to, mm -hmm. to have maintenance done on and make sure again, that they have the right information for the technician to do the work. They have accurate information. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the maintenance worker they can go out and get it done the first time. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the vision. You know, we, we did a little research to see what maintenance departments care most about and third party research. And the number one objective of the maintenance department as a whole is to complete planned work on time. Hmm. Not what was interesting to me is not necessarily be faster at it. 
but just be more reliable at saying we're going to get this task done by this time because right. all the other parties that are involved you know then if they can trust the schedule then other things will go more smoothly as well yeah that makes yeah. a lot of sense and you mentioned the apis i mean obviously if you can have a, a linkage between that that work order and then they can find out how quickly you can ship that replacement part and when it's going to be available to install that that adds more determinism to their to their schedule as well yeah exactly so now supply chain information can get tightened up that's really important right now <laughs> yeah. you know our, one of our biggest challenges at emerson is supply chain right yeah. now and we actively manage it and we're on top of it but yeah. it's dynamic and there are external forces that right. are impacting us right so if you could we could as absolutely real possible mm -hmm. today feed yeah. lead times for part numbers up to a cloud cmms and that maintenance planner would immediately know they don't have to make a phone call don't send emails all that kind of stuff yeah. is eliminated makes a lot kind of, of feels stuff. like the future as well <laughs> i'm talking about this. it feels like the future but you know the underlying capabilities are all essentially there so i think the next yeah. steps in the industry are really to figure out how to build partnerships and work on this ecosystem of apis that can help make our make you know if we're talking to cmms vendor a shared customer more successful well fascinating possibilities and it sounds like uh you've got your your vision and your work cut out for you for at least for a little while you're, you're not gonna have to go into that qr code business anytime soon it sounds like <laughs> well you know, I'll tell you, this job is super cool because we, we do get to talk with customers and solve their problems using what I view as modern technology. And um, yeah. and that's so fulfilling, you know? So yeah, there is, uh, there's a lot of work to do, but at the same time, it's very rewarding yeah. um, tackling these things. Well, sounds like, sounds like my job as well. I get to talk to uh, fascinating people that are leading industry forward, just as, just, such as yourself. So um, it's good that we're, we're both in a good spot. Well, I appreciate the intention you put into forward thinking trends because that, that kind of thinking, the more broadly we can all share it together, I think helps us all move forward. And, and that, you know, that's important to stay, to stay relevant and effective as, as an industry. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have to say thanks so much, Brad. It's as always, it's a real pleasure to, to chat with you. And for those of you out there listening, thanks for tuning in. Um, thanks also to Emerson for sponsoring this episode. And uh, just to repeat, my guest today has been Brad Buddy, Vice President of Digital Customer Experience for Automation Solutions. Thanks so much, Brad. Really appreciate your taking the time. Appreciate you having me, Keith. Cheers. And thanks for everyone to everyone for listening today. I'm Keith Larson, and you've been listening to a Control Amplified podcast. Thanks for joining us. And if you've enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe at the iTunes Store or at Google Podcasts or wherever you find uh, uh, your favorite podcasts. Plus, you can find the full archive of past episodes at controlglobal.com. Signing off until next time.